Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. I am not doing a message this week on a parable because we're going to do a one-off on Thanksgiving. And uh, if you're a a note-taker and you want to know the title to this message, it's basically this, Return and Give Thanks to Jesus. Return and Give Thanks to Jesus. And what I'm going to really share with you today about is the, the reality of the fact that our perspective, the way we see things, ends up determining whether or not we have a grateful heart. And, and then, then, the, then the converse, and that is a grateful heart determines what we see. And what I, what I want you to see today is that your perspective on life, on what's been given to you, your perspective on the world, your perspective on your lot in life, all of those things will determine your ability to be grateful. And your ability to be grateful will determine your ability to see things properly and to see things rightly. So uh, I want to start with a, a really cool story I've shared here before, but thankful hearts have a right perspective. Matthew Henry is a famous Bible scholar. He wrote a commentary that I've used over the years at different times. And he wrote this commentary in the, I think, late 17, excuse me, late 1600s, early 1700s, and he was a brilliant man. And he was once accosted and robbed by thieves, and they stole his money bag. And he had, this, he had these things to say in his diary the day of the robbery. He said this, let me be thankful first, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my bag, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourthly, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Right? So that's pretty profound. When you have the ability to be able to see even adverse situations and difficult situations and painful situations in your life through a filter that gives you the ability to, in the midst of whatever loss or pain you've experienced, there is still beauty there. There is still something redemptive there. There is still something worth thanking God for. You know, there's a profound text in Matthew's gospel, the fifth chapter, when Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount. It's in the Beatitudes. And he says this, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And what Matthew is doing, excuse me, what Jesus is doing there is he's showing us that the state of the heart determines the vision of the eyes. And the way our heart processes life will determine the way we see things. Many times we put off uh, that statement as something that Jesus is saying about our future in the new world, right, in heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One day, if you have a pure heart, you'll see God. But no, what he's talking about is living right now in God's kingdom in such a way as to God is working a work in your heart, and all you see is the activity of him everywhere you look. And sadly, the opposite is also true. If your heart has been poisoned, is bitter, If pain has completely overtaken the state of your heart, 
you get to where you, can know, you cannot any longer see the works or the goodness or the kindness of God anywhere. And you don't live as a grateful person, as a thankful person, but you live as a person who complains continually. And how many of you know that's rough to be around, right? See, unthankful people don't stop to notice where all they have and are comes from. Unthankful people live entitled and demanding lives that forget to stop and recognize the source of their gifts. Thankfulness is the natural outflow of a heart that sees things accurately and with the right perspective. Thankful people recognize that all they have and all they are comes from God. Thankful people are filled up and give thanks to God who then fills them again and again. I've found in my own life that when I'm thankful, I find more to be thankful for. It's really interesting. Like, there have been times in my life, I don't know everybody in this room, but there have been times in my life where I've been in a really dark season, right? Where I've battled with depression, deep discouragement, I've wanted to quit. And I've noticed at those times that I have a tendency to see everything that way. I have a tendency to see through a filter. It's like I'm wearing sunglasses, right? Really dark sunglasses. And everything I see is covered with this dark haze, as it were. And I look around at the world, and instead of seeing beauty and the kindness and the provision of God, I see what's not there, what's wrong. I remember I even went through a period, and this is confession time, I even went through a period in my marriage where I was struggling with disappointment in so many areas of my life and I was, I was disappointed in my wife at times. And I remember one day after we had had a fight, yeah, we fight too, I, was, uh, I had removed myself from the situation to be spiritual and to pray. Some would call it complain. And while I was praying, I very softly heard the voice of the Holy Spirit internally say to me, if all you do is see what's wrong with her, you'll quit seeing what's right with her. I want you to remember what is right and beautiful about her. And it was like, I mean, God, I'm not saying God slapped me across the face, but I'm telling you something. At that moment, I was like, oh, she is the most amazing human being I have ever known. She is a wonder to me a sign and a wonder to me. How did I become blind to her beauty? Inwardly, outwardly. And I began to thank God for who she was. And when I began to see her that way, when I began to see her through the lens of gratefulness, and I, I started to look. See, here's the, the thing about gratefulness and thankfulness. When you become intentional about looking, suddenly it's everywhere. All you do is see the beauty in God's creation. Amen? So my key text today is about 10 men, and these 10 men had leprosy, and one of them was exceptional. So let's look at Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. It'll be up on the screen, and you can follow along with me. I'll be reading from the ESV version. Verse 11 says this, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along, and the he here is Jesus. He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. I want you to notice three words there, Jerusalem, Samaria, Galilee. Okay, so he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers. 
not leopards, lepers. He was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. So let's look at a few things. I'm going to give a little bit of a back story here. We want to know what the context to the text is. So we want to understand what's going on here. And, you know, I really am convinced. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe it has authority in our life. So I'm convinced that when the Holy Spirit is inspiring Luke to write this gospel, the Holy Spirit is choosing the very words that he is writing. And it's no accident that he says here, and it's because this is what Jesus was doing, that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, but he was between Samaria and Galilee. So we're going to look at those three places, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of God. It's the place where the chosen people saw as their capital. It's the place of the temple. It's the place of God's presence on earth, right? And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem because it's there he's going to die on a Roman cross for the sins of the world. It's there he's going to be buried. It's there he's going to rise again from the dead and then be reunited with his father. It's there that his mission culminates, So he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he passes between Samaria and Galilee. Now, Samaria was a land that had been conquered by the Assyrians. And when they resettled it, it ended up having a a mix of races in that region. And some of them were pagan, and some of them were Jewish. They were of the other tribes that had been scattered. And so it was a land that in that time they would have called a land of the half-breeds. These were people that weren't pure Jews. They were on the outside looking in. They were the outsiders. And these were people that were rejected by the Jewish people as not being worthy of God's presence or God's kingdom. And so Jesus is passing by there between these two places. And one of them are the Samaritans who are outsiders and the other is Galilee. Now Galilee was kind of like the backwater, the boondocks. Kind of like Moses Lake to Seattle. Right? And, and in Galilee, you not only had the Jewish people who lived there, who would have been rural people, farmers, fishermen, but you also had a lot of Gentiles. What are Gentiles? Non-Jewish people. Most of us in this room would be considered Gentiles. Okay, so Galilee was filled with outsiders as well. But not just outsiders. I mean, think about this. In Galilee... That's where Jesus cast a bunch of demons out of a man who, who, was, who had a number of demons and it was called legion. So he was full of demons and when the demons came out of him, they went into pigs and then the pigs ran over the hillside and went into the sea and were drowned. Now what were pigs doing 
in a place with Jewish people because pigs were considered unclean. You couldn't farm them, you couldn't eat them, and the Jews couldn't even touch them according to the law. But here were all of these pigs in this area because it was filled with Gentiles. Gentiles, Romans, Greek, the, the people, uh, some of the Arab tribes. And these people were rejected by the Jews and they were considered to be outsiders, outside of the covenant of God, outside of God's love. They were unclean, you couldn't even hang out with them. So Jesus is on his way to the city of God and between these two places he encounters not just outsiders, but outcasts. He was met by 10 lepers and, they li- and at, a, at a distance they lifted up their voice and they cried out to him. It says as he entered the village he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance And if you know anything about leprosy at that time, in the law of God, a leper, somebody with a skin disease, was not allowed to be near the community. They were the big time outcasts. So now now get get the picture here. Jesus, son of God, Messiah, on his way to Jerusalem, city of God, the capital, the place of the presence, between Gentiles and half breeds and those who are outsiders and outcasts, he comes upon the ultimate outcasts, lepers. Now, leprosy was a disease where those who had it were considered to be under the judgment of God. Leprosy was considered to be something that came only upon a person who was in complete rebellion. And so that's the way the people of that time would have looked at them. So Jesus comes into two rejected places to deal with the most rejected people. And the lepers cried out something. They cried out, Jesus, Master, it's the same word for Lord, Master, have mercy on us. Now, normally, lepers cried something else out. And I've taught on this here before, but lepers cried out from Leviticus 13, 45, and 46. Look at it with me. This is what the law required someone with leprosy to do. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So, Lepers would have to let everybody know, I have leprosy, I'm worthy of your rejection, and I have to, at a distance, I can't get close to you, because if I get close to you, I make you unclean. If you touch me or I touch you, you are now considered unclean, and you too have to go outside the camp. So they would have to, at a distance, yell, unclean, unclean, and they'd have to be covered, and they'd have torn clothes, and they had to keep their lip covered, and they they had to make sure that everybody knew, you're not worthy of being a part of us. And so they cry something different, though. They cry, Jesus, Master, mercy, mercy. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but when you look at the Bible, when you read the Bible, one of the things that strikes you as you read it is how much God listens to the cry for mercy. There's something about that word in particular There's something about that phrase in particular, have mercy on me. 
Because when a person recognizes their need for mercy, they're usually at their lowest point. They're most covered in shame. And they recognize there's nothing they can do to help themselves or save themselves. So these men are like, Jesus, have mercy on us. And he immediately takes note. And what is the first thing he does? He directs them. He sees them and he directs them toward restoration. And I'm going to get real here now, okay? I mean, very real. We're not just talking about lepers 2,000 years ago. We're talking about outcasts today. Who are the people when we look around in our society are the most outcast? Who are the people that to you, you most want to avoid? Right? I mean, for us, it would be, right, the drug addict on the street. A lot of people, we would avoid people that are homeless. We'd avoid people that, we can tell if they're tweaking on meth, you know, I don't know how to get by them. Alcoholics, prostitutes, whatever it may be. Those are the people we would avoid. Those are the people that we would see as unclean. And in many ways, they had a similar lot to lepers. They had to be away from the community. They had to be outside the camp. And you just right now come up with your own vision of who that person is. Maybe it's a, a, a person that is different color than you are. Uh-oh, now he's really meddling or socioeconomic class, or whatever. Whatever reason you might be able to come up with, it would keep you from having any kind of connection with other people. Whoever that person is, that's who Jesus Christ calls us to show love toward. And that's who he shows love toward, amen? And so they're crying out, and he directs them toward what? Restoration. Now, this is interesting. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Why did he do that? Why didn't he say, be healed in my name? Right? Why didn't he do that? He just said, go show yourselves to the priest. Because in Jewish law, once a leper went to the priest and was examined, and this is like you talk, it's like going to the doctor. You'd go to the priest, strip off all your clothes, and that priest would examine your entire body and look for any sign of skin disease, any sign of leprosy at all. And once you had been cleansed, you were to be bathed, shaved, reclothed, and then you could be back in the community. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, I want you back in the community. I want you to come home. I don't want you to be outside the Father's house any longer. I want you to know you're welcome. You can come in. You're going to be cleansed. And think about this. They, they turn. He tells them, go show yourself to the priest. And they begin to walk to the priest. And I love, do any of you uh, have a, a really active imagination? Yeah. I want you to engage it with me right now, okay? Just think about it. They start to walk toward where they know the priest would be. And as they're walking, their bodies, each step, their body is being more healed. Think about it. You, just imagine, you got sores on you. Maybe there's even parts of your, because leprosy attacks the nerves, and so you end up losing like fingers and even your nose, right? So they're walking, and as they're walking, they're watching their body be restored. 
And at that moment, as they're being cleansed, one of them is like, oh, wait a minute. I know which priest to go to. The priest. And he turns around and he goes back to Jesus. It's beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? He turns around and he and, and Jesus gives good direction. Go to the priest. Be restored. You'll be a part of the community again. Come on in. You are welcome. All are welcome. And they all obeyed. And as they went, they're healed. And then one of them returns. And you know, when I think about this, it's profound. One in ten. It's like as we've been studying the parables and the parable of the sower with the seed, one in four soils produced fruit. One in ten people who are the recipients of the kindness of God, the grace of God, will even stop to notice, to recognize the true source and then return and give thanks. There's something about that that makes me sad. Like I think about all the people I've seen over the years get touched by God, even right here at these altars, in these services, in counseling sessions. The people I've seen get delivered from addictions. The people I've seen get healed physically, emotionally, spiritually. The people I've seen grow and and they know they're forgiven and they know they're a child of God and they begin to walk and, and then something happens in their life. Maybe they get offended Maybe they go into a weird relationship. Maybe they go through suffering or difficulty. Maybe they become bitter and they quit being thankful. And then what happens is everything they see through their eyes is clouded. And instead of being grateful, they become entitled and demanding and angry. And they put that on their relationships. And over time, they just kind of fade away. And you're like, no, you can see it coming. You're, you're pleading, you're begging, don't go there. Don't go there. No, God has something different for you. God wants to restore you. He wants you in his community. He wants to heal you. But only one in 10 turned around and he fell on his face. <laughs> he turned back. Listen to what it says. He turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. He wasn't concerned about his presentation. How many of you know, when he fell on his face, there might have been snot. He didn't care. And he became, as far as we can tell, he became a true disciple. Because thankful outcasts, get the attention of Jesus. They're known by Jesus. They're seen by Jesus. You know, like, how many of you want to be known by him? Real real quick aside here. Doesn't God know everybody? Hello? Is anybody alive in this room? God knows everybody, right? He knows you. He knows your story. He knows even the number of hairs on your head. And I always use the same joke. Some of us have less right? But he knows the number of hairs on your head. But do you know that Jesus is going to talk to some people? Some people are going to stand before the Lord. Don't let that distract you. Some people are going to stand before the Lord, and you know what Jesus is going to say to them? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. What does that mean? See, you can be known by God, 
And to be known by God is an intimate relational thing. The word known is the same Greek word that's used for sexual intercourse. It's that interpenetration of lives, that spiritual connection. So when, when Jesus says, I never knew you, he's saying, you just used me. You used religion to do your thing and get what you wanted, but you never knew me, and I never knew you. Right? So there's a knowing, there's a connection that we have with God where he can know us. And when this man turned around and he recognized Jesus for who he really was, Master, Lord, and he gave thanks to God, something happened at that moment. Not only was he healed outwardly of leprosy, but he was healed inwardly of lostness. He was found at that moment. He, he was drawn in at that moment. He became part of the community. He became intimately connected with Jesus. And I want to tell you something. He knows you. And he wants you to know him in an intimate way. And it doesn't matter. Listen, I don't, I don't know where everybody in this room is, but I want to tell you there's some of you right now that you might feel like that leper like those lepers, you might feel like you are on the outside, not just an outsider, but an outcast. And you might feel unclean. And you might feel like you've fallen too far or too short, or you've blown it too badly, or you've done the ultimate sin. You might have some things you're so ashamed of. Maybe you did them just last night. And I want to tell you, he's saying to you right now, be clean. Go show yourself to the priest. And only one of them recognized who the true priest was. And that priest is Jesus. And he cleanses and he washes and he gives new life. Amen? Amen. Thankful people are known by Jesus. So this is what we're going to do today. Did you know that one of the words for communion that's used in other churches is the Eucharist. And it's the word Eucharistia, and it means thankfulness. So we're going to have communion, and we're going to thank Jesus today. We're going to remember what he's done for us. Amen? What I want to do before we close here is I want to give you an opportunity to practice something with me. Because I found something. My heart becomes thankful when I practice thankfulness okay let me say that again my heart becomes thankful when I practice thankfulness what's that mean when I'm intentional when I count my blessings they multiply you ever notice as you start to look for blessings they get bigger there's more I mean think about it today you're here and you're breathing because God gave you the gift of that breath the atmosphere around you has oxygen, right? The earth is made with all the elements necessary to nurture you, to fill you, to feed you, to clothe you, to surround you, to warm you, to give you connection. Everything around you, you are dependent. You might think you're a strong individual and you've got life figured out and you got it by the tail but I want to tell you you are completely dependent and if your breath is drawn from you or your heart stops in the next second you are going to meet your maker 
So everything is gift. Everything is grace. Everything is God being kind. Even to the people that reject him and hate him and speak against him, he's still kind and and merciful and giving and loving to everyone. There's so much to be thankful for. So as we close, I just wanna, I wanna ask you to do something with me. If, if to concentrate, you need to close your eyes, just close your eyes for a moment. If to concentrate, you look up, look up. If you gotta bow your head, bow your head. But for just a moment, put yourself in a state of mind, in a state of heart, where you can think about what God has done for you. And I said in the first service, if you become thankful, you'll become thankful. You have to think to thank. It requires being intentional. And I just want you right now to begin to think about what you have in your life that's a gift, what's been given to you. And by the way, the answer is everything. Think about it right now. And whether you whisper it under your breath or do it in another way, I just want you to begin to thank God. Let's thank Him. Let's take a minute right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the breath I have in my lungs. Thank you for the clothes that are on my body right now, keeping me warm. Thank you for the food that I got to eat this morning, the coffee I drank, this warm building. Thank you that we're not being arrested in our country because we worship you. Thank you for all your gifts, Lord. Are you saying thank you? Are you expressing your thanks? Come on, let him know. Tell him thank you.